Luke 24, 44 to 49. Another text where, like we studied last week in Matthew, here again is a post-resurrection text. Jesus again giving the same commission to His disciples. Let me read the text before we get going. Luke 24, 44 to 49. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So it was a great uh, weather we had this weekend, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, I loved it. It was great, you know. Family got out and we uh, cleaned the garage and went and saw some friends Saturday night and did church Sunday and, uh, you know, had a good Sunday afternoon. Oh, church, huh? You, I didn't know you're a regular church-going type. Oh, yeah, yeah. Go to church pretty regularly, you know, and pretty much every Sunday, especially now with Easter coming up. It's kind of a big, big build-up in our church. Oh, yeah, what do you guys, uh, what do you do for Easter in your church, huh? Do you guys do some, what, what's that called, Lent? Do you do that thing? Yeah, it's kind of like Lent. Uh, we, we, we do this, it's sort of an evangelism focus this year. We're, we're sort of focusing as a church on how to, how to talk about our faith with other people more and talk about God. And, uh, you know, our pastor's doing this sermon series called Give the Gospel, so we're, we're learning how to give the gospel. Oh, that's, that's interesting. You might have asked you a question. I, mean, I don't want to make you uncomfortable, but could you, what do you mean when you say give the gospel? I've never heard this term gospel before. But what exactly is the gospel? At which point in the conversation, you say, what? You say, can I give you my pastor's email and uh, he can tell you what the gospel is? You know what? What is the gospel? What is the gospel? If we're to give the gospel, I mean, what is it that we're actually supposed to say? Uh, we are, in fact, here in the Easter Lenten season, uh, doing an evangelism focus in our church. And I am, in fact, preaching a sermon series entitled Give the Gospel, where we're thinking about our responsibility as Christians, not just to believe in the resurrection, but to actually be heralds of the resurrection as Christians. Um, But the subtitle of this series, as you can see by these big posters we have around the church, is Overcome the Obstacles that Keep Us Silent. See, I I think that, that, I have this little thesis, that we want to share the gospel more as Christians, but we're kind of embarrassed that we're so crummy at it, at least I am, and we think, how do I do this? And, And the reason we don't speak up for Christ more is because I think in part there are a series of sort of mental obstacles or hurdles that keep us silent. There are things that we fear, anxieties we have about speaking up, and these anxieties just kind of make us clam up. You know, so last Sunday we looked at the first one, which is the fact that we live in a society where uh, tolerance and pluralism and relativism own the day. And so we're like, well, if I talk about Christ, I'm, I'm being intolerant to other people. And, and so we talked about that. We saw that Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And we talked about tolerance and how Christ has authorized us to be his ambassadors in the world. Well, I want to look at another obstacle that I think keeps us silent. And it's kind of a simple one. It's the one I just kind of illustrated with that little fake conversation, which is, I don't know what to say. 
Like if someone were to just flat out ask me, what is the gospel? I, I don't know if I have the right words to say. You know, I'm going to goof it up. I, I haven't been theologically trained. I'm sort of new at this. I don't know exactly what the gospel is. I, I mean, is it is just inviting someone to come to church? Is that giving the gospel? I mean, what is the gospel? What is that message? So uh, today we're looking at Luke chapter 24, verses 44 to 49. It is like our passage last Sunday, Matthew 28, which we studied last week. It is a post-resurrection appearance of Jesus. And like last Sunday, we see that Jesus is commissioning His disciples to go out and make disciples of all nations, to preach the Gospel. So apparently, after Jesus rose from the dead, on a number of different occasions, He had to keep giving the disciples the same instructions. You know, which I'm, I'm thankful for because I think I need repeated instructions. So on different occasions, he's telling them, you're now commissioned to go out and make disciples of all nations for me. Uh, and what's interesting about the Luke 24 Great Commissioning is that here we have, in essence, a summary of the Gospel message. So my goal, my kind of agenda, to just put it out on the table for, the, for this sermon, is that by the end of this message... I would hope that anybody here, regardless of your religious background, would understand the basic gospel message. And you could, at least in a basic way, say to someone, well, let me tell you the kind of raw skeleton, basic skeleton of what the gospel message is. So, and whether you believe it or not, you know, hey, at least it will be educational or something. You can learn what the gospel message is. And if you understand the gospel message, you understand the very center of Christianity. And so, in a, in a way, it's kind of a way to understand the whole center of what Christianity is all about. You know, sometimes it's like, what is Christianity? The church, you know, this denomination, that denomination. And we can kind of peel all that extraneous stuff away and get down to the heart of the issue, which is the gospel message, which is what Christianity really means. So let's look at our text, Luke 24, uh, 24 44 to 49. Now, Jesus starts off, before he gives us the gospel summary, he gives us this little background. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Now, what's the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms? It's just another way of saying the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures. So he says, everything in the Hebrew Scriptures was talking about me and I had to fulfill all these things. In other words, he's about to give us a very tight summary of the gospel message for us to learn. But before he does, he wants to remind us that that tight little summary isn't just a kind of one-liner bumper sticker that he pulled out of the air. It's the summarization and culmination of millennia of God's working throughout human history, especially through the people of Israel. So you go back to the Old Testament and starting in Genesis, when Adam and Eve first get kicked out of the Garden of Eden for sin... God starts the gospel. He says, someday, Eve, one of your offspring is going to come and he's going to crush the serpent's head. God is going to overthrow evil in this world. And so he, he kind of, even there in Genesis, the very first book, the very first few chapters, we have this beginning of the gospel promise. And so, you know, we read Nehemiah earlier and you kind of get this story of Israel's history. Well, it's not just a random story. It's the story of God's preparations and plans and foreshadowings through Adam and then Noah and then Abraham and Moses and the Israelites and King David and the prophets all leading up to the coming of Jesus Christ. I love what it says in verse 45. Then He opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. You know, boy, I really need that. <laughs> I need God to like open my mind because I just don't get it so often I'm so thick-headed but he opens their minds and suddenly they're like oh 
It's right here in our Bible. It's, it's been here all along. I don't know if you guys ever do this. I, you know, I, I do this, unfortunately, too often, where I'll forget something and I'll be storming around the house looking for it. Like, where's my keys? i got to go. I'm late. You know, they're not in the key rack. They're not over here. I usually leave them here. And I go to the same places. I check them again. And I'm getting more and more frustrated. I'm like, I'm late. Where's my keys? I can't. Oh, oh, they're, oh, they're right here in my pocket. You know, and I'll, I'll pull them out of my pocket and laugh and get in the car. And, and that happens all too frequently, unfortunately. And, and I kind of feel like it's one of those aha moments where they find their keys in the pocket. Like, we had him here all along. Gee, we had the scriptures all along that we've been studying and in uh, synagogue school since we were little kids, and we didn't realize it. He was there all along. He was in our pocket. And suddenly there's this wonderful aha moment where they realize that all of the scriptures were speaking of Christ. And when you look at the preaching of the early church, you find that they just keep going back to the Old Testament and showing Christ in the Old Testament. That was kind of the bread and butter of, of New Testament preaching. So then, what do the scriptures say? What... What is the gospel then? So let's go back to our original question. What do I say when I explain the gospel? And we get that in verse 46. He told them, this is what is written. So here's the summary of what's written in the Old Testament. I'm going to bring it all down to a little nub for you. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. So it's two points. I think even I can remember this. That Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. What is the gospel message we have to give? That's it. It's the message, the very simple message of the cross and the empty tomb. And that all the gospel can kind of be pulled into those two basic points. You just have to remember the cross and the empty tomb. Look at three times after the resurrection of Jesus, we get this basic summary. Look back at chapter 24, verse 5. Here's uh, Easter Sunday morning. The, the disciples find the tomb vacated. They can't find Jesus' body. Angels appear to them. And look what they say in the second half of verse 5. They say to the disciples, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how He told you while He was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. So there it is. The cross, betrayal, crucifixion, and the empty tomb. He'll be raised. Or look at chapter 24, verse 25. A little later on Easter Sunday, Jesus catches up with two disciples going down the road and He walks with them and they still don't realize it's Him, so He kind of is having this conversation with them. It says in Luke 24-25, Jesus explains to them what His death means. He says, How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Here we go. Did not the Christ have to suffer the cross, these things, and then enter His glory, the resurrection? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He explained to them what it was said in all the Scriptures concerning Him. And there's that theme that it comes out of the Old Testament Scriptures. So there it is. What's the Gospel that we have to give? It's two very basic points. It's the message of the cross and the empty tomb. Now, let's take each of those points and just kind of dig into them a little more because there's more to be said. You know, if I just walk up to a friend of mine and say, okay, look, Jesus was crucified and rose again. There you go. You got the gospel. I gave it. Mm, Score one for me. That's not how it works. Okay, there's more to just saying Jesus was crucified. Like, most people know that. It's kind of a historically recognized fact that Jesus died on the cross. 
uh, that, that can be kind of confirmed historically outside of the Bible. The real question is, so what does that mean? And that's really what I think it means to share the cross. Not just to say the bare historical fact Jesus died on the cross, but to explain why he died on the cross. What is the significance of that event? When you have that significance of that event, then saying Jesus died on the cross will, will make the lights come on. So why did he die? Did he just make a bad political miscalculation and tick off the wrong people and, and got you know, crucified because he was in the wrong place at the wrong time? I mean, why did he die? Well, let's do what Jesus did. Let's go back to the Old Testament and see this reason. I'd like you to do this. Put a bookmark in Luke 24. We'll come back in a minute there. I'd like you to turn back to a famous Old Testament passage, Isaiah chapter 53. It's on page 731. We know from many places in the New Testament that this is one of those passages that the New Testament church often went to to explain Jesus. So it's very likely that Jesus Himself taught them this passage. In fact, he references it at the Last Supper in Luke. So it is one of the passages Jesus pointed to as that Old Testament background. Look at Isaiah 53. It's on page 731. Now, this is a prophecy that was given by Isaiah about 700 plus or minus years before the coming of Jesus. So seven centuries before Jesus, we have this prophecy. And it's about someone who's going to come and die for the sins of the people. So look at verse uh, 5, for instance. It says about this coming person, He was pierced. You hear that? He was pierced. Why? For our transgressions. A transgression means going over the line where you shouldn't go. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. And by His wounds... We are healed. So why did Jesus die on the cross? And and the answer we get here is He died a death and suffered a punishment and bore a pain that was intended for somebody else. He was a substitute. That was the basic concept. Like, you know, in sports, someone's subbing in for you. Here's Jesus subbing in for us. He says, I will take the punishment, the the consequences that others deserve for what they did, even though he doesn't deserve it himself. You see the same thing in verse 12. It says, Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. He will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life under death and was numbered with the transgressors. Here we go. For he bore the sins of himself? No, of many. His other sins he carried on his shoulders. So that's what the cross means. So, so you kind of peel back the onion layer and you say, okay, Jesus died on the cross. Well, what does that mean? You peel back the onion layer and you say, okay, he died to take a punishment he didn't deserve, but someone else did. He was a substitute sufferer. A substitute sufferer. That's what Jesus was. But now that, that kind of raises another question. And it, it makes another assumption. It assumes that we understand that we are sinners who do deserve judgment. Right? So you kind of have to then peel back yet another onion layer and say, wait a minute, that, there's something else going on here. This also assumes that I'm actually guilty before God and I deserve punishment that Jesus is taking. Because if I don't deserve punishment and I'm okay and you're okay and aren't we all sweet, wonderful people, then why would Jesus need to bear anything on the cross for me? So there's even another assumption before that. Or to put it another way, before, I, before we can really grasp the good news of the Gospel that Jesus died for our sins, we have to come to face-to-face with the bad news 
that we have sins for which we deserve to die ourselves. And I think that's a hard thing to communicate nowadays. I, I think that's a really unpopular message. You know, it's always an unpopular message, no matter what culture or time you live in, to know that we're under the judgment of a holy God. But look at verse 6 of chapter 53. We all like street sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We like sheep have gone astray. In that great old psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. God is the good shepherd. I'll tell you, you go outside yesterday. Do you have any question how good God is? It was beautiful. It's just like you just feel God's goodness in that beautiful air. Today's going to be another one of those days. You know, you look into the eyes of, of children or family or friends. You realize even in this downturned economy, man, we're still clothed. We're still eating. God has taken care of us. He's good. God has been so good to me. God, God has been more good to us than we ever really acknowledge. Even on Thanksgiving, where we all go around the table and say one thing we're thankful for. You know? We still don't realize how good He is to us. He is the good shepherd, but we are like sheep that have gone astray. We've kind of thumbed our nose at God and said, you know what, no one tells me where to go. I'm not listening to any shepherd. I'm my own shepherd. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to live this way and I'm going to do this and that. And so the essence of sin, we keep using this word sin, the essence of sin is the self-directed life. Instead of surrendering to the good, joyful law of God, we become lawbreakers and, and we break His commandments one after another. Instead of uh, loving this wonderful king, we become treasonous rebels who say, you know what, I don't want, no one's my king. I didn't vote for you. <laughs> you can't be my king. I'm doing what I want. Nobody tells me what to do. And so we go our own way like sheep going astray. And, and what I want us to see is that is that that brings a consequence to it. When, when you turn your back on the glorious, awesome God of the universe and reject His goodness, it, it's a repugnant, horrible thing. And it brings about a consequence of judgment. It, we deserve hell. We're under the curse of God. I know, very unpopular. But sometimes truth is unpopular. We're under the curse of God. His wrath is coming. This world, including us, we're on a collision course with the justice and holiness of God. And I tell you, it is not a collision we are going to survive. And there's an eternal repercussion for our sin that we must face. This is what we have to understand before Jesus died on the cross for our sins makes any sense whatsoever. Otherwise, you tell someone Jesus died for our sins. I'm like, oh, okay, didn't know I was doing that bad, but oh, thanks anyway, Jesus. I'm, okay. <laughs> but when we realize, wow, I, I haven't been the person that I need to be, and I'm, I'm facing eternal consequences for that, then, then it really makes you sit up and say, Ooh, maybe I need some help here. Maybe I need a Savior. <clears throat> Again, I think this is one of those parts of the Gospel we tend to soft pedal, we tend to water down. Um, you know, we don't want to, it's not popular to talk about sin. That's so judgmental. Uh, you know, you shouldn't talk about that uh, is, is kind of the message we get. And, and God, sure, He loves everyone. He's kind of a big lovable fuzzball who embraces everybody. And God doesn't care about evil in the world. I mean, He's so happy with us all. I mean, you know, we get this message. So to, to say, no, we're sinners on a crash course with the judgment of God, 
um, it's not popular. So we changed the message. We changed the message to, no, 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 I got a different message. It's God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Oh, really? Oh, God loves me and has a wonderful plan? Oh, great. That's cool. I'd love a wonderful plan for my life. Sure. Yeah, why not? You know, I can always do something better. Oh, yeah, it's good. Yeah, Jesus wants to help you. He wants to help you fix up your finances and give you joy and peace and happiness and a wonderful life and bless you in every way. You should come to Jesus. It's really great. It's like a party with Jesus. Oh, cool. Well, sure, I'll try that out. And so rather than a Savior who rescues us from our sins, Jesus is kind of like a vitamin supplement. You know, you get those, like, drinks, and you get those little powdered supplements, and you pour the powdered supplement in it, and you stir it, and you down that thing, and that gives you, like, a boost or something so that you're stronger, and, oh, I'm feeling, I feel ten years younger. You know, so it's sort of like Jesus. Like, man, I know your life is good, but, boy, if you had the Jesus vitamin supplement boost, you could have such a more productive and wonderful life. And, and it, you know, so people go, okay, I'll try that. And then it kind of wears off, and we wonder why people seem to be saved and then fall away. We gave him something that Jesus was never offering. Jesus is bringing righteousness, not, not happiness necessarily. I mean, does God give you joy? Of course, of course. But it comes as a result of knowing him and realizing I'm a sinner and I'm under the curse of God. And until we realize that, we're not going to see why it's so important that Jesus died. I've been reading this uh, really challenging book for uh, my own kind of preparation for Eastern's evangelism series. In fact, if you're looking for kind of a book, uh, a Lenten book to read, Easter evangelism book, I'd recommend this book by a guy named Ray Comfort called The Way of the Master. It's all about how to to share your faith. And his basic premise in this book, his basic thesis, is that that the reason we're so weak at evangelism is because we want to jump straight to the love of God and we don't take the time to really help people see first that we're sinners in need of a Savior. And unless we bring the law of God first without... We can't really bring the gospel. The gospel doesn't make sense unless the law of God convicts us first. So it's, it's really challenging. Like I said, it's a hard-hitting book. I mean, if you kind of want a sort of a, a whitewashed, uh, comfortable PC kind of book, it's probably not the one for you. But if you want one that will kind of get in your face a little bit and shake you up, which I tend to need, this is a really it's a challenging book. But let me just read you one little section where Ray demonstrates this by telling about a story of a, a time when he gave the gospel to a woman. And, and just kind of listen to the story. You'll, you'll find it interesting. <clears throat> it says it was just before the Christmas of 2005 and he was at his ministry facility. He's an evangelist. He looked through the doorway and there was a truck pulled outside bringing some books and things. And as he looked at the truck, he saw these two women sitting on the, the front steps of the ministry building just kind of hanging out. And they said, they yelled up to him, hey, is this a Christian ministry? He said, yeah. He said, are you guys Christians? And one lady said, yeah, I am. And the other lady uh, named Trish said, well, I, you know, I go to church. And, and so he went up to her, and you know, this guy is obviously very bold, and, and he said, he said you, where do you think people go when they die? What do you think happens to people? And, and Trish, this churchgoer, said, well, I think they either go to heaven or to hell. And, and he said, well, um, where do you think you're going when you die? And she said, well, I think I'm going to heaven. And then he says to her, you know, there's an easy way to make sure of that. It's a four-question test. Do you want to do it? I'll, it's real easy. She said... Sure, whatever. So he said, do you consider yourself a good person? Yes, Trish said. Then he said, have you ever told a lie? Trish said, yes. And he said, what does that make you? And she said, a liar. (laughs) And at this point, he says, I was delighted that she was being honest with me and not trying to justify herself. He said, have you ever stolen something? Yes. Well, what does that make you? A thief. 
Have you ever used God's name in vain? Yes. Well, that's called blasphemy. And it's a very serious sin to use God's name as a cuss word. He says, at this point, I could see from her facial expression that she was being convicted by God's law. Jesus said, whoever looks with lust has committed adultery in the heart. Have you ever looked with lust? Yes. And he said, listen to this, Trish. By your own admission, you, you are a lying, thieving, blasphemous adulterer at heart. <laughs> and you have, to face the God, you have to face God on Judgment Day. If God judges you by the Ten Commandments, which all those questions come out of, they're just right out of the Ten Commandments. If God judges you by the Ten Commandments on Judgment Day, do you think you'll be innocent or guilty? And she said, guilty. <laughs> and will you go to heaven or hell? And she honestly said, hell. And he says, does that concern you? She said, yes. And he said, well, it should concern you. But then comes the gospel. Do you know what God did for you so that you wouldn't have to suffer hell? She said, no. And he says, he sent his son, Jesus, to suffer and die for you. He paid your fine in his life's blood so that you could leave the courtroom. And suddenly the light went on and now the gospel makes sense. And, and it goes on to tell how this woman uh, came to Jesus and, and put her faith in him. Now, why do I tell you that story? Am I saying that you have to adopt that exact methodology and memorize that shtick and kind of just go jump people and, you know, <laughs> hey, do you believe in heaven and hell? You know, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you should. Maybe that's kind of your personality. But I, I don't know. But my, I'll just say, I, I am a big believer that we have to learn the gospel and then learn to speak it with our own voice. So, so I don't think that being an evangelist is learning anyone's shtick and then re- regurgitating it mechanically. But I do think this is the case, that w- however you end up speaking it with your own voice, that if we're going to give the gospel and people don't believe that they're sinners in need of a Savior, and they're not, then telling, Jesus, telling people Jesus died for your sins on the cross is really not going to have a lot of impact on them. They're going to go, oh, okay, well, thanks, Jesus. I've got to guess. <laughs> but when we see, boy, I need a Savior, then the cross makes sense. So going back to Luke 24. Keep your bookmark in Isaiah 53. I'm going to come right back there. Look back at Luke 24. When we give the Gospel... There are two points. The first is the cross. Jesus will suffer. And that means helping people peel back the onion layers. Maybe it's one conversation. Maybe it's someone you have you talk with over a five-month period. But, but you slowly but surely help people to see we're not okay. And God is not okay with us not being okay. And we need someone to take that penalty lest we take it ourselves because we have offended and rejected the awesome, holy, good God of the universe. But then what's the next thing we have to talk about? It's the empty tomb. Christ will suffer, and here's the second part, rise from the dead on the third day. This is the second part of the Gospel. Jesus just didn't die, but He rose again. Again, bookmark Luke 24. Go back to Isaiah 53. Verse 10 of Isaiah 53. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. So he's going to live after this. Verse 11. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Verse 12. Therefore, he will give, I will give him a portion among the great. He will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured his life out unto death. So because as a result of the fact that he died, 
he's going to be exalted and have spoils and riches and treasures and wonder and, and glory. Like, how can he do that if he's dead? Because he's going to live again. So right here, 700 years before the coming of Jesus, we have a prophecy about someone who will come, who will die a vicarious substitutionary death, and will rise again. Amazing. And that's the Jesus we proclaim. So when, when we talk about Jesus, it's not enough even to say, we're sinners, he died for us. We have to talk about the fact that he's raised. Now, now why is that important? Because it shows that this Jesus we're talking about is alive today. That he's reigning, he's the Lord, and he's coming back someday. In other words, we're not just talking about some idea way back then of something happened a long time ago. But it's like, yeah, and that same Jesus, he's alive and he's the king and he's summoning us. He's summoning us to come to him. Again, I think this is a part of the gospel we often kind of soft pedal. We don't want to talk about sin and judgment and the cross. And we don't want to talk about Jesus as Lord. Instead, we talk about Jesus as friend. You know, this is those t-shirts, Jesus is my homeboy. Maybe you've seen those. You know, Jesus is my best friend. Do you want Jesus as your forever friend? Yeah, sure, I could always use another friend. You know, maybe Jesus could friend me on Facebook. I could friend him back. And we could, you know, be friends online, social networking. Maybe that's how I can get in touch with Jesus. And we have this, is he a friend of sinners? Yes, 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 yes. And when you come to know Christ, yes, he is a friend. But he's also the Lord. In other words, I think sometimes in evangelism, we kind of, whether we know it or not, sort of portray Jesus as the needy boyfriend who's just like so eager for you to take him as, as his. Like, please accept me. You know, please accept me. I, I just want a relationship with you so badly. And I'm so lonely without you. Like, oh, poor Jesus. Well, maybe I'll accept him. Because he, he just wants a relationship with me so badly. And it's like, he's the king. He's not, he's not on his knees pleading with you. He's summoning you from the throne. He's offering amnesty to rebels. Not pleading for a date. And so we need to see Christ is the Lord. He is Savior and Lord. You can't separate those like we sometimes do. He's Savior and Lord. Just like you can't separate the cross and the empty tomb. So when we give the Gospel, whether it's a one-minute kind of blitz conversation that's one of those amazing Holy Spirit-inspired moments where we share the whole thing like we read about in that story, or whether it's a conversation with someone that extends years because it's how often it works, we have to lay out these concepts that we are sinners in need of a Savior, that Jesus died for our sins so we don't have to face judgment, that He rose from the dead, He's the Sovereign Lord. And then notice this too. There's also a response that's required. So there's the basic gospel, the cross and the empty tomb. And there's lots you can say about it, but just remember that basic outline, cross, empty tomb. And then notice the response, verse 47. Repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So you've, you've explained the cross and the empty tomb. What is a person supposed to do in response? And there's the word, Repentance. The response required of us sinners to the Gospel is repentance. When John the Baptist came, he baptized people and it was a baptism of what? Repentance. When Jesus preached the Gospel, it says in Mark chapter 1, that gives us a summary of His preaching. The summary of His preaching is the Kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. 
What is repentance? Let's peel back that onion layer a little bit. What do we mean by that word? It's kind of a churchy word, repent. I don't know, that sounds kind of negative. What is it? Well, this, this, let me just explain repentance. It's very simple. Repentance is a kind of internal 180. All right? Where I used to be going this way, the sheep has gone astray, and I now pivot internally and say, you know what? I need to go a completely different direction. It's a change in one's heart where we come in alignment with God's view of our situation. You know, before it's like, I'm fine, I'm great, everything's cool. And now it's, wow, I'm a sinner on a crash course for the judgment of God. I need a Savior. Jesus, I need you. It's, it's where we pivot and we say to God those three words that I hate to say. Boy, I hate these words. But being married, I've had to say them probably more than I wish I had. The word, three words are, I was wrong. I hate admitting that. And without any qualifications. But, you know, no, just I was wrong. God, I was wrong. Repentance, think of repentance this way. It's a kind of spiritual filing for chapter 11 bankruptcy. You know, before you file for chapter 11, it's like, I can make this work. No, no, we're going to make it work. I'm going to get a home equity line. I'm going to borrow some money from friends. We can pull this off. I'm going to work a little harder, put in some extra hours. I've got a business plan. I think we can save this thing. You're working, working, making deals, working. And then one day you just wake up and you can't, you know, you can't lie to the Excel spreadsheet. You're like, we're done. This thing is over. I'm bankrupt. And so you pivot and you, you're no longer in the I can make this work. You turn to the courts and you say, I need protection from the courts so that all my assets and whole life doesn't get seized. You know, it's, it's so we file for that chapter 11 protection. It restructure my business so, I'm, so I can be saved from my bankruptcy. Well, it's the same thing with Christ. Before we come to Jesus, it's like, no, I'm good, I'm good. Yeah, you know, I'm, I've blown, I made some mistakes. Had some trouble in my marriage. Had some trouble with, you know, like... I drink too much sometimes. You know, I've, I've done this, I've done that. But you know what? I'm, I'm on a good path now. I'm going to make this work. Got a good self-help book. Went to a good class. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to pull this together. I'm, I'm going to pull myself out of this. And then one day you just wake up and hopefully by God's grace you look in the mirror and say, I am bankrupt. I always was bankrupt. I can't make this work. And so we pivot and we say to the court of heaven, I need divine restructuring of my soul. And I repent and I cry out to God for His mercy. And again, we just like we tend to water down and I tend to water down and soft sell sin and judgment and the cross, and just like I often water down Jesus to just sort of Jesus as my heavenly buddy, so I think sometimes we can water down repentance. You know, people hear the Gospel and what are they supposed to do? And we kind of soften it. We're like, well, I don't want to say repentance because that sounds a little bit tough. So I'll soften it a little. We'll soften it. And we say this. We say, look, here's what you need to do if you want to come to Christ and become a Christian. You need to ask Jesus into your heart. I've said that to people. I've, I've used those words. But, you know, the more I've studied, maybe you can help me. I can't find that phrase in the Bible. I can't find anywhere where it says the way you turn to Christ is to ask Jesus into your heart. Like, what does that mean, really? Like, Jesus, so much come. Jesus, it's great in here, man. It's a party. You like it in here. I'm a good guy. Come on into my heart. Sure, why not? Anyone who wants to come in. I mean, it's like, what does that mean? Or, or maybe, maybe we get a little closer. We say, you need to accept Jesus as your personal Savior. Okay, we're getting closer there. It's getting closer to the idea. But even that's a little too vague. Like, Savior from what? Like, I want Jesus... Because I think people turn to Jesus to be saved, but not necessarily from their sins. They turn to Jesus to be saved from a lot of things. Like, I'm just unhappy. Or I need help. And, and so, I, Jesus, help me with my finances. Jesus, help me with my relationships. 
but like not save me from my sins. So you have to get even more specific. You know, or, or we, say, we say, look, if you want to accept Jesus as your Savior, I want you to walk down the aisle at the end of the church at this altar call and come to the front. That's not in the Bible either. You know? Altar calls were invented in the 1800s at the Kentucky, Kentucky camp meetings. It was a new evangelistic technique that was never seen for 1,800 years in the church until Americans invented it. And now it's like part and parcel of how we do evangelism. But can you walk down the aisle of a church and not repent? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes that might be easier just to walk down an aisle. Then I don't actually have to deal with my sin. I can just walk down and everyone goes, oh, and everyone's happy for me. But like, repentance is, ooh, filing for spiritual bankruptcy. And you can do that walking down an aisle. You can do it sitting in your pew. You can do that in your bed at night. You can do that anywhere. It's a, it's a condition of the heart. The heart has to be humbled before the Lord. Repentance is what God calls us to do. We have to fall on our knees before the Savior and cry out for His mercy. You know, before we uh, go any further, I, I thought it might be helpful just to kind of wrap this up. Maybe before we think about going out and giving the gospel to others, we should make sure that we've heard the gospel ourselves. You know? We're sort of making this assumption that we're all going to go out and give the gospel, but maybe this this Easter, God wants you to give the gospel to someone, and the person He wants you to give it to is yourself before you go out and give it to others. Maybe we should all make sure first we've really grasped the gospel that Jesus is talking about here with with all the difficulties and challenges that it presents to our souls. Uh, I I love the uh, story of one of our elders, one of our elders in the church named Matt Dorn. He's he's a great guy, and I love the story of how he became a Christian. He uh, was in Utah in the Air Force with his wife. He and his wife were both Air Force people, and they were in Utah. And so they went to the, started going to this church, and they heard about this Bible study in the church, which was about how to share your faith. And they're like, oh, cool, we'd love to try that. We'd like to learn more about that. That sounds neat. So they went to this Bible study, and it was kind of like a Bible study that's sort of doing the same thing we're doing here. They're thinking about how do we become a little more intentional about talking about Christ with others. And so he was in this Bible study, and, and so he's in it, he's learning a lot. And then they had to do this little exercise. They had to write a little, like, one-page narrative of how they had come to faith in Christ. And as he sat there trying to write the narrative, it dawned on him, you know what, I don't have a narrative. And so at the Bible study, which was intended to teach him how to share the faith with others, it dawned on him that he actually wasn't a Christian himself, which is pretty cool. <laughs> so he, the person he ended up evangelizing was himself. And that's when he came to know the Lord. And maybe that, that's us. And so I just think we have to... Let me just walk you through the gospel one more time. And let's each of us, and, and starting with myself, let's apply this to ourselves. You know, number one, Christ suffered. He, he died for sinners. Do I realize I'm a sinner? Or am I still in the, I'm a pretty good person, I'm probably good enough kind of fantasy world? Or have I come to see that God doesn't measure me by comparing me to you? God measures me by comparing me to Him and His holiness and His law. And I fall infinitely short of that. And and do I see that I'm on a crash course with God's judgment? That it is not going to turn out well for me? That there is a judgment day coming? That there really is a hell? Do I feel that? Do I feel those flames, in a sense? And, And do I see Jesus died for me on the cross? Do I really grasp what Jesus did on that cross and its significance? And then, what about the resurrection? Do I, do I understand that this is not just some Fargo story, but that this Jesus is alive? He's the King. He's coming back. The world will bow before Him. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Him. You know? 
says in Romans chapter 10, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Or to put it negatively, if I don't believe in my heart that Jesus was raised from the dead, it is impossible for me to be a Christian. You can't be a Christian if you deny the resurrection. It is the DNA of the Gospel. And then, even if I would affirm those things, let's talk about my response. Have I repented? You know, have I repented of my sins? Have I, at some point, have I gone through a process? Can I ever remember a time when, when I really said to God, I'm a sinner. You know, save me. Have I grieved over my sins ever? Or is it sort of, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all fine, isn't that dandy? Do I just have that kind of religious view of myself? I'm always nervous when people say, a Christian, yeah, I've always been a Christian. As long as I can remember, I've just, I'm a Christian. I'm like, really? When did you repent? Have you ever repented? And sometimes people become Christians, maybe as little kids, and it dawns on them as they get older, and, and it, the reality of the cross sinks in. But still, where's the repentance? See, I am... The reason I'm saying this is because I think it is possible, and in fact probable that there are some of us here who are very churched. We grew up in very churched backgrounds. And you're, you understand the mechanics of maybe not this Baptist church, but some church tradition. But we've never really grasped the Gospel. And we're not really Christ's. We don't belong to Him. I am, I am concerned that it is entirely possible and in fact probable that some of you here who are high, who are high school students, junior high students, if you're a kid here who's not in the uh, you know, children's church program, th- that you have grown up in this church, you have Christian parents, but you think that therefore you're kind of by default a Christian. And I'm going to tell you, if you don't understand that Jesus died, that you're a sinner, and that Jesus died and you need to repent, you're not a Christian just because your parents are or because you grew up in this church and went to every youth group event every week. I am concerned that it is possible and, in fact, probable that there are some of us who are members of this church, and I'm asking this of myself, members of this church who are, are in fact, not actually belong to Christ. Because we've learned enough words to kind of get past the membership test, but we haven't really come to grips with our sin, God's salvation, and our need to repent. So before we even think of going out to give the gospel to others, I think we have to give the gospel to myself. I believe it is possible and entirely probable that there are pastors, priests, and ministers who have gone to seminary, who think they are doing the Lord's work, but have not really grasped the gospel. It's ultimately about what Christ did, not about how religious I think I have or haven't been. Oh, and look at this last word. I, I, I couldn't be faithful to this text if I skipped verse 47, this word. Repentance, and what else is proclaimed? Forgiveness. God can forgive. No matter what we have done, no matter how far we have strayed, no matter how deeply we've cratered our lives in sin, Jesus can save and forgive and create a new life. That's the amazing thing. He can forgive. And, and look at this forgiveness is preached to all nations. There's, there's not like a limited supply of this. There's enough forgiveness in Jesus for all nations. 
which means there's enough for you and me. That is the message that we need to proclaim. That's the basic gospel. And when I hear that, I, I just think, okay, I got it. I understand the gospel. I can never do that. <laughs> that message? You think I can say that? No way! I'm way too much of a wimp. I'm way too much of a people pleaser. I want everyone to like me. That's not going to go over well with that. I can imagine who it's not going to go over well with. So I'm so thankful for verse 49, where Jesus says, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. What is it he's going to send? The Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. God not only gives us the words to say, but he gives us the power to say it. And we'll talk about that power more next Sunday. Let's pray. Would you just take a moment?